Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today I'm joined by Davi, Alejandro, Peter and Gustav to discuss the hot topic of AI and how we should not be replacing humans but enhancing them. A great idea that you've come up with, Davi, we took talked about quite a while ago Um, but before we get into it let's work our way around the room with some quick introductions so do you want to kick things off? Yes I'm Dara Goodmanson since coming here to Denmark in 2015 I've been with Maersk in different roles and um, most recently leading a pricing data science team and um, I have originally from Iceland did my university education in the US ended up with my PhD at Berkeley Worked there in Silicon Valley in San Francisco in semiconductor industry, hospitality. But one thing is interesting about me, my whole career from the start, since my first job in 97 or 98 has been data science. It wasn't called data science until 2012, but it was. <laughs> nice. Peter? Yeah. That's a lot of accolades. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> Peter. Um, I am uh, currently heading a team at uh, Deloitte called Advanced Analytics and Data. And uh, to be honest, that's not what we're doing, but that's where we are heading. Uh, we're trying to become much better at uh, consuming and using data in a more clever way. Um, I find this topic very interesting. And uh, since I wrote my thesis, I don't have a PhD from Berkeley or anything like that. But <laughs> my thesis was on uh, using machine learning. Um, and, and that was a very new, I felt, back then. Uh, and I see that. It's just becoming more and more important. And ChatGPT, I, I think uh, this topic is extremely relevant. And mm. yeah. Yeah. Alejandro? Yeah. Thank you for inviting me on, the, on this podcast today. Um, I cannot top up <laughs> your, uh, uh, all your titles. Uh, currently, I'm heading up a team of product owners in Novo Nordisk in the global data office. And here we're actually working on the foundational part that enables uh, AI and analytics to actually happen. So we're working on all the, the side of getting the metadata in place, managing this data, uh, setting up the governance and all of these uh, requirements before you can actually utilize it properly in a qualified way uh, for your analy- analytics. And um, yeah, my background is in science actually. So I've always been a, a scientist. Uh, I did my PhD in biostatistics and bioinformatics, but that was actually related to um, machine learning applied to to medicine in multiple ways and on multiple levels, from omic data to uh, to epidemiologic uh, data. Yeah. Nice. And finally, Gustav. Yeah, I uh, work as an innovation technologist in the legal tech company Kano in Copenhagen. Um, I have a background in uh, innovation and big data, specialization in big data from uh, Copenhagen University, IT University of Copenhagen. Um, yeah, and in Kano, we, we also try to use uh, data. We have a, a lot of legal content that we try to, to utilize using AI. Uh, there's a lot of interesting challenges there. Definitely. Okay, perfect. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast.
So now we have established a context to each of you. Let's move on to our topic. So everyone has questions or statements relating to today's topic. And as usual, I'll work around the room with each of these and allow you to elaborate. And then everyone can also give their take on the situations. Um, but first of all, we did have a bit of a discussion and we want to kind of cover well, what each of us think or consider AI as. So do you want to go ahead? Yeah. So just thinking about the podcast, I was came to this point that has come to me in several other meetings and contexts, just to agree what is AI, where I'll at least share what we think AI is. And I just decided to try to get some outside in information here and just found from the World Economic Forum. For example, what they call AI. One of them is predicting where wildfires happen. The other one is targeting, targeting the right customers. This is well known. Uh, then the third one, helping firefighters see through smoke. Okay, so it's um, different than ChatGPT, but they call it AI. And then the fourth, uh, detecting disease. And this, you do this a lot on known risk. So I just found it fascinating that we have very different examples of what AI is. And also, just since I'm an operations research guy, uh, my definition of AI usually involves some sort of an optimization algorithm that gives an answer and that, that it shares with a human and the human is often impressed, like, yeah, I probably not, could not have come up with this myself, but it's a very narrow thing. You know, the, the person cannot ask the model back, well, how did you do it? Or is it bad weather tomorrow? It, it's just this. But it's, it's very valuable and it cannot make mistakes. You know, it cannot hallucinate and make horrible suggestions. It has to be pretty much good all the time. So for me, um, I mentioned some examples to trigger conversation. Then I mentioned a little bit about what I deal with you, Julie. So I'm curious what the rest of you think about these examples and your own definitions of AI. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I, I agree, for example, with the fact that AI can be very broadly understood, uh, but we can also try to, to think of it as um, as in two pieces. So we've had so far a lot of machine learning and it's been, that could be called AI as well, predictive uh, algorithms, any type of optimization algorithm as well, that can be considered machine learning. It's all statistics, right? Complex statistics. Now, what I would consider AI, and uh, I'm not saying that it's not all the other aspects as well, it's something when it goes a little bit more to the autonomous decision-making. So it comes a little closer to how a human would think. So you are exposed to a situation, the machine can take the input and actually make a decision based on that input that could differ from time to time. And typically, an algorithm would be very specific to a particular task. So if the input deviates slightly, then the output would not be uh, what was expected. Uh, and as you said, you would actually want an AI to give you the right answer. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. You know, I'll just comment real quick on when you said about making decisions. So an optimization algorithm is basically suggesting, here's a decision. Exactly. I cannot implement it, implement it for me. But exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, so to take one of your examples of the helping firefighters look through smoke, I think uh, most of us would, or most people would, would probably call that augmented reality. Um, yeah. And and then I think one of the discoveries is, is that a sub-range of AI? And yeah. even though how much does AI cover? Um, my understanding of AI would differ slightly from yours, I will not understand, but yeah, my interpretation is that what you discuss, what, what you describe is more like AGI, a general intelligence. And I, I think AI for me is more of a robot that gives the same answers each time you ask it. And it doesn't really have any opinion. It's just hmm. one based answer. And then you can maybe ask it to 
to to give you an, another answer based on another set of assumptions. But um, yeah. Yeah, and I'd like to chat yeah. a little bit on the or on the dialogue between the two of you and just say that I can, um, you I basically I'm attracted to your words about something more than presenting information like uh, this smoke see through smoke device. It also presents here's what you should do. And so, for example, if this device is telling the firefighter go there, go up, go down, and then jump over this and and trust him, just walk through this wall, you know that that would be interesting. That then Precisely. then would be. Is possibly being more AI than that that just be, what this is described over and here. That will be the change from traditional yeah. uh, statistical approaches mm -hmm. to the next level, you could say. Yeah. So I think that AI, of course, can actually cover all of these aspects, right? But I'm just saying we also have to find ourselves on when do we talk about AI of the future and when do we talk about the AI of the past? Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think it's super interesting that. What we've seen so far is that the real adoption of, of AI has been in the, in the ads industry and the and the web search industry, uh, probably because of the, the huge cost and the long uh, the long investments it has to to actually productionize a data model. Uh, and with the introduction of uh, of these non-deterministic models, uh, it's just much easier for businesses to actually quickly get it out in the hands of the users and validate validate the actual value. Um, I think potentially. Uh, what we'll be seeing is that uh, instead of instead of having uh, a data science team focusing on productionizing a model, having MLOps as uh, kind of like the the, the hardest thing, uh, then you will realize soon that as a as a business, the, the quality of the data is the actual thing that's going to be hard to to actually produce. Mm -hmm. uh, we're starting to see in the in the legal industry now that uh, actually independent scientists and communities that are trying to, to create big Danish corpuses of text because they realize that uh, we can't really do anything with these new language models without having an enormous amount of, of text data. Uh, so that's really interesting to, to see that the focus has gone to the to the input of the data instead of actually the, the creation of a new model, right? Mm -hmm. So shall we move on to our, our questions? Yeah, great. Okay, so we'll come to you first of all. Um, and basically, you have asked for what circumstances or situations allow for AI to replace humans uh, or the opposite? Where is it really hard or unwise to do so? So do you want to elaborate a little bit more for us? Well, I think the question is quite clear. And I'm really curious to just uh, hear what they have yeah. to say. <laughs> Go for it. Take it away. Yeah, um, I, I think it's very hard to to answer because I guess some of the things where we expect AI to well, maybe be able to perform worse than a human might be completely turned on its head in a few years. I didn't expect the AI to be as good as as as, as, as ChatGPT is mm -hmm. uh, on the actually giving advice in a normal language way that everybody can understand. You don't have to be a data scientist to use it. And I think that, that, that surprised me a lot. Um, I'm expecting something uh, AI to be more of an assistant, as we spoke about earlier, uh, to, for example, doctors. But I don't think you can take the emphatic um, human relationship out of the doctor-patient relationship, for example. Yeah. Can I, since I wrote this question, I'm yeah. going to press you a little bit in terms of, can you imagine some place where AI is really, today, able to just take over a task of a human? some really good application? I, th I think, um, well, if it's um, automation of uh, collecting very um, hard-defined um, data and putting it in another place in the most effective way, I think that's uh, something a human shouldn't be wasting time on. Mm -hmm. um, 
and in in general, just um, sorry, I just left, lost track. No, it was, it was a good suggestion. Yeah, and maybe if I can continue, I actually think we can say that uh, all the tasks that are repetitive. Yeah, right yeah, to exactly. pick up on what you're saying, mm-hmm. all the repetitive uh, data-driven tasks, in principle, could be replaced by an AI, as we've actually been shown already. Mm-hmm. If you have enough data, as Gustav is mentioning, of enough quality, you can develop a, a, an algorithm. You can develop a machine that can actually do it for you if it is uh, like that. Then we will start talking about empathetic, creative, innovative tasks. That's where the the fluff comes into place. It's more difficult to. Maybe I don't see the straightforward how we can use an AI immediately. I do not see a limit to what AI can actually be doing in the future. I do see, however, that right now it's more difficult for AI to replace the creative part, mm-hmm. empathetic part mm-hmm. that he us bring uh, to the table. I, I completely agree. And I, I think it's quite funny that the challenge of actually now presenting new products where I believe just a year ago, I thought that more manual labor would be automated first by AI. But now we're seeing highly specialized jobs like uh, legal work and financing being automated. And at least we think about this uh, when we have to release new products, instead of calling it a legal expert, we call it a legal assistant. Uh, Because going in and selling a a legal expert that's been 20 years specializing in a a legal topic and then coming and saying, we have a general model that can do better. It's not a very good, uh, especially when the legal professions are the customers. But but at the same time, I, I really think that it is an assistant because uh, we see this across all sectors, right? It's, it has a huge amount of data and insight on general topics uh, and a lot of context. But when you start to dig into a specialized topic, then then you you quickly realize that, for example, with legal data, you would have to have the specialized legal data in a specific area, such as tax area or something like that, where it simply can't can provide any value. And even though it did provide value, you would still have to have the legal expert validating the answers since it's not deterministic, right? So mm-hmm. it's really, a, I mean, as a pro- programmer, I think my, my productivity has gained maybe even two to 300% with ChatGPT and, uh, and Copilot, but still, it would still take a great developer to use it because you would need to evaluate the code afterwards or you wouldn't know the half of your code base, right? So it's, it's the same across all sectors as I see it now. Yeah, yeah. I've had I've used ChatGPT to write a basic simulation code framework, but then I went into it and changed a few things, and and then boom. So, uh, but I guess what you just described was that was uh, an example of of enhancement and and uh, not complete replacement. You're with us today. Mm, definitely. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really great to communicate out because uh, I mean, half of all this AI transition is about the communication to the organization, right? And it's not about replacing people. It's about making creative people 10 times as efficient. Yeah. But actually to that creative part, I must say, I mean, ping, uh, also piggybacking on your your first comment on hallucination. Yeah. You did mention mm-hmm. that word there, right? And I was thinking yeah. innovation, creativity, and hallucination, right? Well, in reality, we are, we could argue that if an AI can hallucinate, yeah. I mean, what is innovation? If yeah. it's not hallucination of our own ideas and thoughts, <laughs> that brings us to the next level. That brings yeah. us to the next level. So uh, we could argue that actually the creative jobs could, in principle, also be enhanced by the existing AI. Uh, in this case, you're mentioning ChatGPT, right? So that that's a perfect mm-hmm. example with the hallucination part. Yeah. So definitely, I mean, I, I definitely agree that of course there is a there is a still a long way to go there, but we are very close. And if and if we think of replacing humans, I don't think that AI will replace humans at all. It will only enhance them. It might replace those humans that do not want to use AI. 
That's a different story. <laughs> so if you don't want to upskill yourself to yes. use AI, yeah, yeah, then obviously there is a competitive advantage yes. to those that use it. Yeah, if you're doing something very repetitive and predictable and you don't want to use AI, then yeah, it could be replaced, yes. But then I think that person will then be thrown in the deep end of the pool and find find the pressure to maybe change one's attitude or I don't know. But um, uh, I'm curious then also building on your earlier comment about repetitive um, maybe driving car is then not a predictive and predictive task, is it? Meaning we're not seeing self-driving cars on the road so much, are we? Mm. And just for fun, I'm curious, what do you think has been spent on developing self-driving cars so far? Gustav, you start. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I saw this Twitter post just a few days ago about uh, a guy who uh, who had a rant about that AI progression was slow. And he said, like, if you don't think about GPT, what have what have we seen that has been promised so far? Right, and self-driving cars was obviously one of the examples. Um, and I think that's that's really like it's the irony of things that things that we thought would be automated, maybe because the 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 expectations of the big tech companies is that they're going to innovate all the time, so they they promise a lot of stuff. May, might be even maybe even even though they know that it's not that realistic. So so we get all these ideas about how AI would look, and then yeah. At least I didn't expect it to be uh, as simple as natural text. <laughs> yes, that's true. But so, but then I have a repeat. Thanks for the good answer. Yeah, Another yeah. part answer I was looking for. Do you have a number? Do you how much? Do you know how much been spent to oh, yeah, develop self-driving cars so far? I would guess. I would guess that it would be in a, in a, like a hundred billion dollars, something like that. Okay, it's. Uh, I'm not going to give away too much. Uh, what do you guess that is? You what do you guess too? Bam. First, to, to follow on uh, Gustav's comment on the AI not having made it to the general public, I guess that's on one hand uh, a sign of uh, the companies not delivering as we expect, but also on um, regulations maybe being in, enforced um, harder on the AI than is yes. as a human. Yes. So that's that's yeah for the self-driving cars that's uh, the obvious uh, yeah. reason um, that we don't see more. Um, how much is being spent? I, I, I was about to say 100 billion, but I'll say 200 then. Well, <laughs> Alejandro, what do you think? And actually, I want to disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> because we have AI in our phones, in our smartphones. We have AI, yeah. you have it around your wrist in your smartwatch. Mm-hmm. We have AI on everything. So it has reached the public, yeah. not in yeah. the obvious way mm-hmm. as ChatGPT, for instance, right? But it has reached the public for a long time now. About the, the spent money, let me just go for half a trillion. Just in the Abbey Side of our misery. How much is it? It is estimated to be a minimum of 75 billion and probably around 160 billion. I, I just you know, looked at it yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I agree. Say. Totally agree. Yeah. I, I totally agree, Leandro. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's really there in the applications that we use, right? But at ChatGPT, first user interface that we actually interact with. And I, expect i mean i've had this there are like a lot of critics about how we we kind of like ai introduced itself to humanity through moderation of content right and uh and now it's threatening by by actually creating our content in the future and uh god knows what that means uh i mean the applications are endless and that's a, a very intriguing and scary thought at the same time uh but but at least i mean when you when you think about a self-driving car it sounds very comfortable <laughs> Yes. My son thinks it's a horrible future. He wants to drive cars. But um, <laughs> the uh, 
too late. Um, that was kind of related to my question earlier mm-hmm. about, you know, where are good examples. And I, I basically, I see there's still a struggle to have humans replaced in the car. It's still a struggle. And uh, there's other opportunities that we mentioned. That's great. Uh, should we move on to somebody else? Yes, of course, Alejandro. So, I mean, to, to keep it vague and you can elaborate a little bit. So you've kind of asked, is it all just AI fuss or reality? And and I think we've actually been discussing yeah. this past uh, couple of minutes, right? I mean, AI has actually been already down to the public. We just haven't seen it. And now we have such a buzz around what's going on with AI um with the with the with ChatGPT as an example but many other things coming up all the time in our in our social media and in our news mm-hmm. um so my question was more around is this the real paradigm shift we were expecting or is this just mm-hmm. a stepping stone uh, and we're just giving it a lot of of buzz around yeah. it um mm-hmm. we've discussed a lot about it but i think it's 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 also interesting to hear all your thoughts Bill, to kick this one off yeah, I would love to to throw my two cents. I uh, when we started working with the new, I will just say large language models as a specific use case for AI. That uh, we've had so many tech hypes. Last one was blockchain, right? Which turned out, I mean, in my opinion, not that great. And lost, a lot of people lost a lot of money, and <laughs> and it was a uh, yeah, a great place to be criminal. <laughs> it still is a, is a is a real use case, but it probably just takes much longer than people expected, and. Uh, and I had a colleague who who was 20 years older than me and very pessimistic about uh, GBT in the beginning, and uh, and suddenly realized that oh sh- oh this is like this is different. I can see the use case. First thing I can see the use case right. You couldn't with blockchain. Uh, you had to have a PhD in uh, in big data to understand the use cases. And uh, and then second of all, I think that simply the the fact that uh, I I lost it there. I think yeah. First of all, like basically that. Uh, that is a user user facing product is 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 the big difference here because we can see the value from the beginning. Uh, that's the real difference for me. So I would say that this is a is a reality. We can see the value provided, and uh, we can we can see the use cases across sectors. Yeah. Yep. Well, nah. first allow me to disagree violently with you. <laughs> <laughs> On, on your view on a blockchain, I think it will be extremely important in the future when we have AI and a, a lot of it, GPT uh, bots are speaking to each other and uh, perhaps uh, transacting with each other. But let's leave that aside. Um, I think that, as you said, Gosal, this might be the way, instead of just a stepping stone, then this might be the paradigm shift because all of a sudden it becomes much more realistic to have a your own personalized AI assistant that's not just a dumb chat uh, tech desk, but that gives you three options and nothing works, but this actually can help you. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a reality and I think it will be hit us much faster than anyone expected. I mean, ChatGPT was launched in November. I know a lot of really hardcore tech nerds that use some of the GPT models before that, but I mean, the adoption is uh, amazing. And if you don't use uh, GPT in, in two years, uh, even uh, for high knowledge mm-hmm. jobs, I think you're probably way behind the, the queue. Of- yeah, agreed. And I think the, the second point I, I just remembered is that when you think about what really has transitioned uh, work and professional work, this is that, for example, email and automation, the two big ones that has come before, they all are, they're all about communication and information. Uh, and I think that there are some similarities uh, to 
to these new large language models from what I've seen that email did to, to professional work? Yeah, so no, I think we're really in an interesting period and paradigm shift almost is, I think. And uh, But I think also I'm fascinating at how I'm fascinated and happy to see how quickly people are talking about the pros and cons. And uh, uh, and I, we're seeing and learning fairly quickly what are the pros and cons. And and I we are also then learning to appreciate also our own abilities as humans and our, and our critical role that continues. So yeah, I think it's a paradigm shift, but I, I'm not, I don't lose sleep over uh, uh, being uh, people being replaced. I'm more actually excited about how they can be enhanced. I, I really am. And I think even in operations research where we have these models that are supposed to give very precise, optimal information about what, how, where, which ships should sail with which much and how much cargo to take in different ports and what have you, um, we are still we're seeing use cases emerging. We're using ChatGPT to understand, to monitor. With, we've done this before with like basic alerts, like there's new paper on your topic available, but a much more higher intelligence that where they can read the paper and say, yeah, this is really applicable. You should look at this paper, higher quality recommendations of literature out there, mm-hmm. even interrogating you know, a, a sort of a big database of prior models to understand sort of how your models are, are evolving and where the strengths and weaknesses and which models are running into sort of uh, blockages of providing no solution and why. So they help you in your development. They're like a co-pilot for operations research work. So while they're not ready to be, you know, the large language models are not ready to provide these optimal optimal price recommendations and things like that that we're doing with classical uh, revenue management operations research, there are multiple different co-pilots that are enhancing us and making more us more productive in our work as operations research scientists. So that's uh, one of my answer to to your uh, question, uh, Alejandro. Yeah, yeah, but thank you, because I also think we are in that paradigm shift right now. So, mm-hmm. and maybe uh, a little bit about of a taboo, because we're talking about the finance sector, the, uh, you know, optimization of of, uh, of different uh, supply chain parts and yeah. transport, but what about the healthcare sector? And that's, mm-hmm. of course, where we have the empathetic piece taking, taking a place. And you just said something. We have, or my interpretation, paraphrasing what you said, is that we're going to a future where we're not use, losing the human touch, but we are actually amplifying it mm-hmm. with AI, right? Yeah. And and if we actually take also an example in the healthcare sector, yes, we we start looking into what happens when we look into the empathetic roles. I mean, one example that was published a few months ago in JAMA Oncology was on, on patients that have terminal cancer, uh, and an AI machine helped the doctors identify and flag out those patients so they could have uh, life and care conversations, which are very important for those patients that are unfortunately on the last uh, months of their of their life, right? And this was actually a, a tremendous uh, success. Mm-hmm. I would think it's actually a tremendous success also for AI in general, because it shows that it's not replacing the empathetic piece, mm-hmm. but also amplifying it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I, so. well, I guess uh, from an entire society um, point of view uh, with an aging population, and um, as we all here, at least in Denmark, the healthcare is... Uh, struggling as it is in most of the Western countries in Japan, I think that allowing AI-assisted Medicare will greatly help us um, accommodate all of the needs that comes with the aging population. That one empathetic doctor can maybe help 100 patients in the time it would usually take take them to help a few 
Precisely. And that's, I mean, that's my example. You can help with diagnosing much early on. Yeah. You can help with uh, preventing a disease. Yeah. Uh, you can help with decision of treatment, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it, it's basically mm -hmm. utilizing the knowledge we have already yeah. uh, from experienced doctors and applying it much earlier on, thanks to, to AI. But it's really, I think, from application to application, the the kind of like the legislation needed is different, right? Like for for Medicare, you have some uh, dilemmas that you have to take care of. For for the self driving industry, you have you have to think about the truly problem, right? Like even though the statistics say that you will uh, have have less people to be driven over, it's still who who's responsible for it. And <laughs> yeah. and for for applications like OpenAI's uh, ChatGPT, it's you know, you have the, the EU Act now started from uh, June, and it's it's the first legislation of its kind. But but still, it's it's very not obvious that what kind of like unacceptable level of risk that they accept in that act. So kind of like when GDPR came, it's a big mess though uh, the legislation, and it's it's different from application to application. So hopefully, in fields such as healthcare, Medicare, people will. Uh, the, the different governments of Europe would be would be good at navigating how how to actually implement this so that it's an amplification of the employees right and not a uh, it's, it's an interesting dilemma to to see how how the different kind of sectors will implement AI. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So if we move on to our next question, then it's with you, Peter, um, and you wanted to discuss the topic of ethical AI augmentation. I suppose that follows on quite nicely and um, balancing benefits and risks. And you want to know how can we make AI systems transparent and accountable for the decisions when enhancing human capabilities? So what, what's your take or shall we go to everyone else first of all? Yeah, but I want to thank Gustav for a perfect segue. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> how, do, how do we? audit and AI, how do we make sure that what it um, suggests is actually also the best option? Mm -hmm. I think this is one of my pet peeves with AI is uh, the validation part. And we have uh, touched upon this uh, earlier, but this ChatGPT gives us a lot of suggestions, but ultimately there will we will need an expert to validate the suggestions. And then what I'm just curious is uh, to, to hear your points of view on uh, how important should we how much importance should we accredit to the transparency of how ChatGPT makes a decision or just trust it blindly with the fireman helmet? I mean, if it tells you to go there and you go there and there's a fire that you didn't expect, that's a terminal outcome. I mean, yeah. so, so yeah, that's, um, that's a very interesting uh, point of view. And, and maybe one of the reasons actually why it was so, it's been so difficult to bring this AI into healthcare because you need the transparency. I mean, uh, most of the papers published on this field, you have to demonstrate based on the predictions in your algorithms, what are the parameters that were actually driving the decisions. You need to showcase that to the doctors so they understand what is what is the basis for this decision that the predictive model is is, uh, is uh, coming out with, right? Mm -hmm. So it plays perfectly on this. And uh, Gustav also mentioned it, you know, with, with ChatGPT, there's been, or the, with large language models, there's been already some legislation or regulation, I don't know exactly, uh, within the EU. Same thing is going on now with FDA and EMA, so the regulatory agencies from the US uh, and, and Europe around how do we use AI and machine learning in healthcare sector. And they are, which I think is fantastic, they're actually asking the public and they're asking all of us to provide input on what do they think we should add into those guidelines and those principles. Mm -hmm. So they are not closed. They're not going to make a new uh, a new book guideline without asking the experts in the field. But it's a complex question, and I really haven't come up with the, <laughs> with the solution myself yet. <laughs> <I'm just hoping. laughs> 
Well, some thoughts that come to mind, not necessarily a perfect answer in any way, just thoughts that come. For example, uh, a blockchain could be a tool to keep accountable, meaning some AI is making some suggestions. And then if you come to it later, say, did you actually suggest to this patient to take, you know, double vitamin D? No, I didn't. Well, <laughs> well did that happen or didn't happen? Did the patient lie or is the AI hallucinating and changing its mind? So if you have any, can you send that maybe on a blockchain system to say that actually we've looked into Mr. AI, we looked into the blockchain and you did recommend this. So we're going to have to look into you a little bit. But um, so that was a little, sec- was a little side note there on your earlier mention of blockchain. Um, I think maybe a part of our paradigm shift is getting used to and training all of us, all of us humans to get used to um, sort of randomness and statistical sort of instead of having a list of 10 concrete items that a doctor can look and say this was used to make make the decision they have to get used to the fact that it's almost like a 15-page document it is like a corpus of medical knowledge of these papers between 1965 and 1985 and, and you know that was used and this was used and this used they have to become mm. really familiar with much different concepts of saying okay this was used to make the decision uh, and it's almost unfathomable but we are also used to this we we cannot fix the engines in our cars anymore electrical cars even modern you know fuel efficient gasoline cars i mean we just take it as a service and and i think to some degree there will be much higher need for large governing bodies within eu to say that this is the data that decisions is made on and and when the doctor says approved by this committee of EU of that's how the decisions were made. I am outsourcing it to them. I'm going to trust them. Of course, you have to then learn earn trust in that committee and then and then in its process and what have you. But the, you know the accountability or or trusting the recommendation may becomes more complex, and they have to have maybe a large body that the doctors just say I trust that body, and and maybe they take a year to then monitor that body and be a part of. Uh, taking a year off from the hospital to work in Brussels, uh, Luxembourg, whatever, I don't know, to to help create this enormous database that is used to make all medical decisions. Uh, I don't know if it makes sense here, but... Uh, I think the, the key word I hear is trust, you know, right? Yeah. I mean, once we trust yeah. the decision, these machines, this new technology fully, uh, because we have put the guidelines in place and so on, then of course we'll be in a completely different situation. Yeah. But the accountability was also something that really resonated with me who is accountable if there is a a, a unexpected effect mm-hmm. uh, from the decision yeah. from these AIs? And that's where I think the conflict comes into place. Is it the company that owns the AI that was created? Is it the person that utilizes the, the AI? Is it the AI itself? Mm-hmm. And how would you make an AI machine accountable? Mm. And of course, we would hope that for a lot of disease diagnoses, there is actually the AI could take a very complex body, but re- but circuit it down to five tests that exceeded certain levels. And this, the doctor can understand that there might be also very complex diagnoses. Um, there's a lot of people with unexplained diseases today. Precisely. And, um, and that's where, you know, we, you know, sort of trusting in this large committee that uh, authorized this large corpus of text that it's all trained on and, and, and trust, trust that. that mm. so, yeah, that's we're probably seeing. Um, I guess we're seeing some of that coming uh, in our future. Uh, I'd say I, I like the concept of trust, but I also love to verify. And I yeah. think it's uh, different use cases needs different levels of each. Yeah. I mean, for a doctor, 
taking a decision that could potentially be life-ending or life-extending, I say trusting is not enough on its own before we have enough evidence that the trust is well-placed. Um, and you're suggesting that a 50-page report for the doctors to verify that this is a good suggestion, that could work in some cases, but for lesser important things, we'll, well, we need to set different thresholds to where we trust and where we need to verify first. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, uh, I can maybe make a common example with how we do it in the, in the legal industry at, at the moment, because I think what we're seeing at this stage of the development, a lot of uh, companies being startups or big corporations, they talk about fine-tuning the, the big open AI models. But actually what we're seeing is that none of the applications we've seen so far have been fine-tuned. They use what's called retrieval augmented generation, which is basically throwing in a ton of information into a database, often something called a vector database, uh, and store these documents as mathematical representations. Yeah. And then and then you actually refer to those directly using the model. So how, yeah. how, how that looks in, in an output for our new application that we're building is that actually it cites the sources specifically in our database with links. Yeah. So it actually becomes quite feasible to, to as an end user, understand, okay, what is what is this information that I'm being presented? Uh, okay, it comes from these three different sources. That's okay, Let's let me take a look into those. So I think maybe when fine-tuning becomes more uh, spread out, that will be really, really nice for some cases because then the, the data that you presented will become part of the model. Whereas retrieval augmented generation, just using a vector database and referring to that data, will be more obvious for Medicare legal tech, why you have to have that data transparency that, that Ando also talked about, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, I could do sort of a, have a fingerprint of a certain version of this knowledge and, and you know, can then keep it in a blockchain that was used yeah. to make a certain decision at a certain point in time. But anyways. I'm going to open it up to you guys. I know there was a little bit more detail in the questions that you had proposed. Was there anything that we didn't cover today that you were hoping to, to discuss? Well, I have a couple of you know, sort of slightly fun topics, I think. But one of them is just what assistant would you love to have that you don't have? AI assistant, this. That's a good, good question, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've always thought about, I've always dreamt since I'm a child of just being able to communicate with my computer verbally with my mouth, not having to type it in, yeah. and just ask, "Hey, computer, please do this for me." Uh, so that would be great. And we'd combine yeah. some type of Alexa with the large language models with, uh, you know, PowerPoint and all of these things in one go. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to do it myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like a Tony Stark style uh, garage. Exactly. To speak to the... Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, That'd be great. I find that when I have an issue that could be with one of my gadgets, I usually post a question that's never been answered before. So I had to do a lot of research to find the answer. So I, I, I basically need chat GPT, so that's why I don't have an, well, what assistant I want, because I think it's very close to being there. Uh, I think we are very close to the future of the, I don't know if you've seen the movie Her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or mm -hmm. Phoenix, uh, or, yeah. 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 Speaking to Scarlett Johansson and yeah. then the AI become a sentient and leaving them. So <laughs> yeah. We should skip, but I think we're very close <laughs> to what I need, where I can just, as you say, ask it a question and then be fairly comfortable in the answer it provides. Yeah, was a solution it. Mm. And I mean, ideally, also, it's keep you with, uh, with the answer itself. You don't even have to do it yourself. It goes out and that's it for mm. you to the extent possible. Then mm. that would be the, the perfect case for me. But that's where you give it access to uh, to to everything with your calendar, your emails. And I'll just write an email. In How do you validate that what it sends out is uh, acceptable to you and it doesn't buy something that does? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's always trial, uh, trial and error, right? Yeah. So you basically can test some emails and if 
over a, a time of 100 emails, you've encountered that all of them are perfectly aligned with what you would have said. You could actually say that this assistant is good enough for you or for what you expect. So. Yeah, it's a bit ironic that the AI created all this distance between people and uh, now we're seeing applications like personal assistance and mental health professional assistance and uh, even girlfriend assistance <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that, that might solve the problems. <laughs> yeah, so I think maybe my little dream assistant is maybe a subset of the what you spoke about earlier. It is um, uh, sort of a, an executive assistant in a sense that I I am continuously surprised by how much time as a manager I spent on things that are not really tapping into all the AI and data science knowledge I have. Instead, it's entering some numbers about the budget into an Excel sheet. And, and then somebody coming back to me said, oh, well, we just changed it. You have to do it again. And, and you know, it was like, I mean, I'm, I'm amazed, of course, sometimes. Um, of course, I am amazed sometimes by how uh, corporations are willing to have highly paid managers spend time doing things that are really not that complex. So uh, uh, so I think it's a subset of the assistant you spoke of. So somebody who could deal with all kinds of the, these type of things, you know, just like make the budget for my department this month. Mm. Mm. Done. Yeah, <laughs> to, to create more value yeah. uh, out of your yes, knowledge. Exactly. And I, of course, I would want to review the budget. But it should save time. So things like that, yeah. you know, that come to. I actually wonder if that's not possible already. Because <laughs> I well, think. And, and yes, I'm basically, I think we're at the cusp of it. I really think we're at the cusp of it. But also with companies changing their accounting system so frequently, it's more of a struggle with that. If they can standardize more uh, on some things, then, then I think it's possible. Mm -hmm. Which actually, for example, that's what the World Economic Forum mentioned that when it came to fighting wildfires, the challenge was not. The machine learning models. The challenge was all the countries were with with different weather forecasting standards. Mm, yeah. So, but um, uh, then I one thing I was wanting to sort of mention in this uh, in the AI systems and question that I had. It's uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm stealing time from, from more time than I should. But no, I just sorry. can't help but to mention that uh, we're all excited about this. I am excited about this, but. It is emerging, I think, more and more as we speak here. The um, and this may be a connected a little bit to blockchain. There was a lot of money thrown into blockchain, and now there's a lot of money thrown into AI. I think maybe fairly soon some of these startups uh, may run out of money, and they're not going to make all of this available for free. Because here's another fun question to take around the table: when you type into Google, for for example. Um, write me a new resume. Yeah. If you type it into Google or you type it into ChatGPT, do you know what the difference in environmental impact is in terms of energy used? That's the uh, next in the ChatGPT. And next, so what about you? Yeah, I'm going to go with something similar. Okay, and Gustav? Yeah, three, three to four times more, perhaps. Okay, it's 50x. Well, okay. <laughs> And now Microsoft, there was in the news yesterday, Microsoft is talking to nuclear engineers to figure out how to get enough energy to, you know, feed uh, or serve all these requests. So I'm wondering if, you know, when the free trial period is over, uh, I don't know, is that a year, two years, five years? I don't know. Or as somebody says, there's a huge business opportunity to make uh, ChatGPT more energy efficient. Mm -hmm. Anyway, just... Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know if our assistants are going to appear and then disappear. I don't know. <laughs> but I think it's it's uh, interesting that, that, I mean, I read this long article about uh, how 
OpenAI's move and Microsoft's move on on the business model is actually like a big attack on Google's business model, right? That the biggest business model of Google, the ads model, is is impossible to keep up with. Even though Google would make a model completely similar to the one with ChatGPT, they would have a have a huge loss, maybe twenty to thirty percent loss in profits. Yes, uh, and it's, it's yes. I mean, seen from a Microsoft perspective, that's quite nice. <laughs> so, yes. And, and that's kind of for me then to drive the whole whole point home about replacing human resources and enhancing them. I mean, when I talk about 50x, you know, let's be proud of the the bodies we walk in, and it's this amazing creation that the evolution has created. You know, the computational efficiency that we have as humans. We cannot beat AI in some you know reading thousands of papers in a millisecond. But we have an amazing efficiency in our brains that what this this uh, this Earth uh, evolution has created is quite something. And it uh, and when it takes so much energy to do things that actually sometimes fails in pretty bad ways, uh, it's interesting. But still, mm. we're in a paradigm shift, I think. But yeah, basically closing closing up with with, with that thinking. It's like what you said. Our AI assistants may come and leave us because it's not a, energy uh, efficient, enough. right? Uh, yeah, that's completely true. Did they think about it that way? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if in, if in a year, you know, you, you ask a question that yeah, I'll give you the answer for twenty bucks, you'll be like, well, maybe I'll just really Google it a little bit myself. <laughs> have you guys paid for the pro version of ChatGPT or do you just yeah? I have, yeah. Yeah. What's the difference? Well. Uh, you can use a lot more plugins. And if you do want to spend the time on using the plugins, then you can actually get a lot of value out of it. Mm. But if the only thing you want is to get emails rephrased or this simpler like task, yeah, then I see no no difference. Mm. I think the model is much stronger, but also actually to what Dada said before about uh, an executive assistant, they, they've introduced these custom instructions now with uh, 3,000 characters where you describe your current situation, right? And uh, you can actually make it have a lot of pre-context from every new chat that you create, which I think they're throwing more and more features in now, the GPT enterprise, where you, instead of being scared of getting your data stolen, now companies are standing in line to put their data in, right? Because you get your own little bucket of data. And I think that's at least something I think GPT Plus has that uh, provides additional value, the context. Any other points anyone wants to add before we finish up for today? Well. Should we touch upon the apocalyptic nature of it? Right. <laughs> we'll just do a quick poll and see uh, if anyone thinks it's a scenario that we should fear or... Uh, well, it's, yeah, it's going to end the world. terrified, so... You are terrified? Why? Yeah. Okay. But, um, so, I don't know if... Uh, but why? Why? I think that uh, in the evolution, as you said, the species with the highest IQ um, usually ends up at the top of the food chain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not sure if we don't... Uh, stop or at least uh, put some boundaries on AI. I'm, I'm not sure if we can uh, stop what we've unleashed. Well, I mean, uh, it's very interesting. And already Isaac Asimov just think yeah. about it many years ago, right? So it's not a question that just comes up now. Um, mm. And the latest prediction I've heard is that uh, singularity will be achieved in 2045. So yeah, we have some time to put our housing on that, <laughs> to put our person in order before the apocalypse or, or actually to create those guidelines and ensure that um, that AI will, even if it reaches singularity, and actually, I hope it does, it's controlled enough for it to not want to overtake us, you could say. Yeah, I mean, when you think about uh, 
the current political status of, of many of the world's countries. I mean, having a having a singularity that could just like make fair laws for everyone would be. I mean, there's a lot of things that we do as humans that aren't optimal, so to speak. But what would optimal mean? I mean, that's also a problem, right? If you are yeah, if you exactly. train a machine, if you train a machine to to uh, create pencils and right. they run out of space, yeah. then <laughs> what does tell you or who tells you that they're not gonna eradicate humans because it's actually the most efficient way to produce more trees to actually produce more pencils. So, I mean, we have to be very careful with thinking that singularity can actually solve our human our human issues because they are they are complex because they're human issues and a machine might not be able to comprehend it. Even if they reach singularity, they might still reach singularity in niches of, uh, of expertise. Mm-hmm. They will not have humanity or empathy, meaning that they will not care if we have to be taken out of the way. Not losing sleep. Uh, and I'm at the same time, I really support the initiatives of sort of being like the paranoid will survive in terms of let's be a little paranoid, I would say. Let's be paranoid. It's probably good to be a little paranoid instead of regretting it. Um, at the same time, I'm not losing sleep. And I really think that if we play our cards right, we could have this amazing future where we get to spend time doing just the most interesting things. And even, you know, just start to explore the, the space and universe. And and uh, because, you know, going back to my example about the cars, I wish they had spent $100 billion on just doing a dishwasher where I can just put a plate into into a box. And in the morning, it's in my cupboard. Yeah. I would have, that would have been better used than trying to take me out of the car. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I second you. I'm not losing sleep with this. I actually would like to to uh, maybe meet with uh, this team again in 20, 30 years, and maybe the fifth uh, invited person could actually be an AI machine. <laughs> an interesting conversation with us. Actually, my <laughs> colleague, um, my colleague filmed one, and the fourth participant was an AI chatbot, yeah. and they they got it. Um, they they ran it through. There's obviously an AI that that has speech as well. So yeah. they ran it through that and it was a part of the podcast. I'll have to send you it. Yeah, it is quite cool. He was hoping he was hoping it was going to be the first one, but it turned out it was the second one. Um and he thought he was going to blow up and be uh famous on the online, but no, didn't didn't quite happen. Um but no it was pretty cool. It was one of the guests that he had on there that created this this chatbot and they basically just asked it the same questions that they asked well, each other. So, yeah, quite interesting. Well, then I, my question to you, what was your impression? How how was it to have uh, this virtual? It wasn't myself. It was oh. my colleague that oh. had it. But um, I think he was just a bit buzzing with it because he was like, I'm going to be the first person in the world. But he loved it. He absolutely loved it. But yeah, I mean, definitely further down the line, whenever there's plenty of them, probably, then we can yeah. do this again. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's plenty to talk about as well. Part two could be on the cards. But um, if that's everything that everyone wanted to discuss today, we'll end it there. Um, so I just want to thank each of you, Dali, Alejandro, Peter and Gustav, uh, for providing some amazing insights. Um, I've really appreciated it today. So thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed yourself as well. And it's nice to actually be able to do something like this face to face for once. Um, unfortunately, Gustav, you're online with us today, but um, who knows, potentially in the future you guys can all meet again but um thank you so much this has been the evolution exchange podcast so we'll see you next time